Welcome to the Hills Baptist Podcast. We're so glad you're joining us as we see Jesus glorified, lives transformed and hope revealed in the Adelaide Hills and beyond. We hope you enjoy this message. I'm not, no, that is working. I'm not getting any light on here. Morning, everybody. Anyone guess the topic of today's message? Music? Music. Music is not correct. So that's a bit of a different introduction to a sermon today. And if you were here right at the start, you would have heard a different welcome to worship as well. Ken, well done. That's actually a really difficult passage to pay. I'm told it's 7-4 time. Um, that might mean something to you. But it is pretty tricky, but you're going to have to get used to it because we hit it again later in the service. Then that montage, I was actually going to roll it a bit like a quiz night and actually ask you to guess all of those things by title and artist. But given COVID, this is, I thought we would have one piece of discretion in the service and we wouldn't actually gather people into small groups in that way. But that was, that was the original vision of that segment. But um, if you didn't read the weekly update, you'll see that today, the title of today's sermon is Dark Side of the Moon, Track 5. Now, if you weren't born in the 1970s, uh, sorry, if you weren't about 18 in the 1970s, if you weren't born in the 50s, you might not know that the the title of that track is Money, okay? And that's the tune that Ken was playing as we walked in. And that's certainly the subtitle of, of this message today. Now, when I took on the role as acting campus pastor here a few months ago, there are a few things I actually undertook to do. And in that, one of those things, and the board asked me, and we passed this through them, was to say, hey, we're going to maintain momentum. It's not just a holding pattern. We said we'd try and maximise the opportunities of the change that was coming at us with a change of pastor, senior pastor and acting pastor, but also of a short-term tenure, which is what I have. There was certainly a part of it around preparing the way for the senior pastor, the new senior pastor, who we didn't know who that would be at the time. It's Dave. But actually helping us as a congregation make that transition. 
And one of the parts of that transition is the senior pastor no longer is the Orgate campus pastor. It's actually the Verdun campus pastor. So that's part of that transition. And probably the last thing, and perhaps the most important thing, was preparing the way for the next Allgate campus pastor. And as part of that, there's dealing with a few issues and outstanding things and trying to get um, how we work as an office here a little bit better, um, how we use the space in the building a little bit better. And phase one of that's going to kick off very soon. Part of that is filling as many of the volunteer positions as possible so that we can actually make it easy for that person coming in and not have that as a constant drain. So we had, some, um, we had a go at that in December and we're going to go there again in February. And the last thing that I said that I was going to do was actually talk about money at some point. And today is that day. Um, we get to talk about money. It's a dirty job and someone's got to do it. For some strange reason, we as Christians and perhaps as churches actually don't find this an easy topic to talk about. We seem to struggle with it. We, it's kind of like we'd rather you just leave that alone. There's some discomfort in it for us. And it probably springs from a few sources. Probably many of us know of various times in church history when money has been abused when the church has actually taken money and it's been quite corrupt, or those in power have been quite greedy with the money that's come into the church. In fact, you can go back through history and the church was always like that. The temple was always like that, almost right from the very beginning. As you read through the Bible, you see that the priests were corrupt. And yet people were still expected to give their money to the priests. They never said, only give it to the priests if they're good priests. It was like, no, give to the Lord, give to the temple, trust God. So, but we, we know of those negative experiences or we hear of those things and we think, oh, I don't think I want to do that. There can be a concern that the church is just after my money. <laughs> That's all they want really from me is they just want my money. There can be a sense that it's none of your business. What I do with my money is my business. But in church, we actually talk a lot about um, various things about how we should live. And one of those things about how we should live is how we should use our money. And in many respects, we're quite happy to be accountable in other areas, but this is one area where we'd rather not talk about it, quite frankly. Um, and perhaps the last reason we don't like to talk about it is a sense of guilt. You know, it just makes me feel guilty talking about money because kind of, I've kind of got this feeling I should be doing more or should be giving more in this space. And if I talk about it, it just makes me feel bad. Well, today we're actually ripping that Band-Aid. We're going to open this Pandora's box. We're going to deal with this can of worms today. But um, before we go there, I just want to say to add my welcome to everybody. It's great to see you here. Um, can I encourage you in this season, if you are able to come, please come. If you need to isolate for any reason, please don't. <laughs> um, and, and if it just doesn't make you feel comfortable with, with a group of these people, we understand. Like, we get it. Okay? So if you can't be here for any of those reasons, that's quite okay. Um, welcome to the people online. It's great to know that as I stare at that camera, there's a whole bunch of people out there who are joining with us in that way. And if you can't be here, you know, Join us in that way. I'd really encourage you. But when you can come and join again, we'd love to see you here as well. 
Um, so, but yeah. So I'm Craig Schultz. I am the acting campus pastor here. Um, great to be with you. If you're new or welcome, uh, visiting, great to have you here. Get to know a few people after the service. Last week, Martin spoke about Martin Gare spoke to us about social justice, and largely from the perspective of those people who require social justice. So he gave us some good examples of people who were great at addressing social justice. But social justice is very much around the needs of the people around us. It's actually, social justice is one of the things about the why side of money, like why we should give, why we, how we should use our money, why we should actually give money away. Another part of why we should give money to the church is, is, is that we should actually give money to the church, to this body, because it actually takes, takes money to run and do the things that we want to do, as well as, you know, we would hope money to spread the, the message of Jesus in the world. So we bring it to the church and the church uses it for that purpose. So that's the why side of money. There's social justice, there's bringing it to the church. But today it's actually the flip side of that conversation. Today we're actually talking about the advantaged. We're actually talking about those people with resources. Which means we're actually talking about everybody. Because everybody here has resources. We've got time. We've got talents that's being given to us. And I would say that in Australia, we all have money. We all have money. For sure, some have more than others. But everybody here has more than most people in the world. So today is actually talking about dealing with our abundance. Last week was talking about dealing with those people who have less. Today we're actually talking about us and saying we have more. What are we going to do with that? Now Jesus spent a lot of time talking about money. In fact, I think it's, if you actually compared how much time Jesus spent talking about money and how much time we spent talking about money, I think you'd find the percentages are grossly misaligned. So I'm going to give you a really, really quick run through Luke this morning. Okay? Running through Luke, chapter 6, verse 24. The Beatitudes, but woe to you who are rich, for you have received your consolation. Chapter 8, verse 14 is the parable of the sower. The seed that fell amongst thorns stand for those who hear, but as they go on their way, they're choked by life's worries, riches and pleasures, and they do not mature. Chapter 9, verse 23 to 25, but what good is it for someone to gain the whole world and yet lose or forfeit their very self? Chapter 11, verse 3, the Lord's Prayer, give us this day our daily bread. Chapter 11, verse 5 to 13, there's a parable of provision followed by Jesus saying, you know, and it's talking about providing, saying, so I say, ask and it will be given to you. Chapter 11, verse 42, Jesus talks about giving and actually says, Woe to you Pharisees, because you give God a tenth of your mint, rue, and all other kinds of garden herbs, but you neglect justice and the love of God. Rome, uh, sorry, Luke chapter 12, verse 15 to 21 is a parable of the rich fool. And it starts with, watch out, be on your guard against all kinds of greed. Life does not consist in the abundance of possessions. 
and finishes with an encouragement to be rich before God. Chapter 12, 22 to 34, do not worry. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Chapter 14 actually talks about how we use hospitality, the resources that are available to us and that we should not only use it for our friends to gain um, you know, friendship, but to use it for those who cannot repay you. Chapter 16, verse 13, no one can serve two masters. Either you'll hate the one and love the other. You'll be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. And we're halfway. (laughs) See how much Jesus spoke about money. And then we actually come to a series of parables and encounters. So chapter 16, there's a parable of the rich man and Lazarus. Chapter 18, there's a parable of the Pharisee and the tax collector. I'm not really going to go through all of these today. Chapter 18, also the parable, no, sorry, the encounter with the rich young ruler, with the famous line that it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. Chapter 19 is the encounter with Zacchaeus, the tax collector who ends up responding to Jesus by giving away so much of his money that he had mis- in, um, inappropriately gained. He just got his financial affairs in order. His, his response to meeting Jesus was actually getting his financial affairs in order. Who does that? Maybe we should all do that. It's our response to getting, uh, meeting Jesus. Chapter 19, also the parable of the ten coins, using what God has given us wisely Chapter 21 is the widow's offering when Jesus see the widow giving two coins and said she's given more than anybody else here. So Jesus spent a lot of time talking about money and we should too. But for all that's in Luke, I actually want to bookend today's message around two passages. And the first passage points to our same, our same uh, our first point around money that I want to talk about today. And that is, firstly, is we should be content. That we should be content. So I want to read this, this scripture together. This is Hebrews chapter 13, verse 5. Can we read this together? Keep your lives free from the love of money and be content with what you have because God has said, never will I leave you Never will I forsake you. We're going to read that again. If we can go back. Hebrews 13, verse 5. Keep your lives free from the love of money and be content with what you have because God has said, I never will I leave you. Never will I forsake you. We're going to have more on that later. But I thought it's good to see that you thought, you probably thought that when it came to a sermon around money, it would probably be all about giving. In actual fact, if there's one thing I'd really like to emphasise today, it's about being content. Because being content actually releases a whole bunch of things. And we're going to come back to that because I think it's so important. But the second passage I want to, I want to read to you, and I'll read this to you, relates to our second point, which is about being generous. And we'll probably focus a lot in this today. So this is 1 Timothy chapter 6, verses 16 and, uh, 17 and 18. The verses that really speak to me and I hope they speak to you too. Command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant, nor to put their hope in wealth, 
which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, and to be generous and willing to share. I think this is a passage that's so great for us in the Western world. So great for us in the Western world because we are and we have great resources. Do I need to convince you that we are rich? Many of you might have seen YouTube clips or video clips along the lines that says words like this, if you have food in your fridge, clothes on your back, a roof over your head and a place to sleep, you're richer than 75% of the world. If you have money in the bank, your wallet and some spare change for coffee, you're among the top 8% of the world's wealthy. And for us, the news only gets better or worse from there, depending on your perspective. But I think it's safe to say that everybody in this room is in the top 8% of the world's wealthy. It's quite sobering really, isn't it? So hold that thought. But being a church and, and talking about generosity, let's talk about tithing. In fact, let's talk about tithes and offering because if you hang around a church long enough, you're going to hear these terms. You might as well understand them, okay? So if you're not familiar with the concept of tithing, in the, in the Old Testament, very early on, a concept was raised that people should give 10%. A tithe is 10% of their wealth to God. It actually starts right in the beginning of Genesis with the first harvest. If you go right back there, there was an expectation that people would bring the first fruits. It wasn't money. It was produce, the first fruits to God. It was the resources that they had. And when you go to the Old Testament, in addition to the tithe that was given to the Levitical priests, the church, if you actually go through the Old Testament, you'll also see tithes that were given as a response to God's abundance. And you'll see a, that a tithe should be given to the poor every third year. Now, according on who you, who you read, some people say that makes 23.3% that the Old Testament people were obliged to. Some people say, no, it all got kind of rolled up and it was just 10% anyway. Um, at some level, that's academic. And certain we'll, and we'll talk about why that is in a moment. But on top of those, on top of that tie, there were also offerings. offerings. And there were at least five. Um, there was the burnt offering, the grain offering, the peace offering, the purification offering, and the reparation offering, at least. So on top of the giving that they gave to God as part of their tithes, there were offerings as well. But because of the work of what Jesus did on the cross, we're not under that kind of law anymore. We don't gain God's favour by giving money. In fact, in the New Testament, when tithing is mentioned, and it's not mentioned very often, um, mostly it's mentioned in the way of saying, well, you're doing your tithing, but you're getting it wrong. You know, you're actually neglecting the very things, the very heart of where I am at, which is for the poor and those who are disadvantaged. And you're just missing that. You feel like you're gaining my favour by doing just exactly what I ask for. You don't get my favour by doing just exactly what I ask for, doing the minimum. That doesn't give me favour because it's coming out of abundance. 
Although, but it does in Hebrews, it actually speaks reasonably positively about the fact that Abraham gave a tenth of what he had to Melchizedek, who's a Christ-like figure in the Old Testament, um, whom he met. But there's plenty, so whilst today we're not obliged, so to speak, to give 10% in that way, there's plenty of talk in the New Testament about how we should be generous. And the passage that we read is merely one of them. There are plenty. But talking practically, what does generous look like? It's a really subjective term. What one person thinks is generous, someone else might think, you know, is being stingy. And it's like a number of things, I think. Generosity is actually really quite hard to define. And in some ways, it's easier to define what it's not than to define what it is. For example, I think most of us would think generosity is not doing the minimum. Generosity is not just doing what you're obligated to do. And generosity is not a transaction. It's not an, if I give you this, you will give me that which we actually need to think about when it comes to giving to God. If we're going to be generous towards God, it's not a, if I give you this, you will give me that. That it's not an investment. That giving to God is not an investment in anything in worldly terms. That it's actually putting your treasure in heaven. It's actually saying, I'm investing in your kingdom, not in my kingdom, not in our kingdom. But I think we can say that generosity values others more highly than ourselves. So it's using our resources for others more than ourselves. It probably involves at least a measure of abundance over what we're obligated to do and possibly a measure of self-sacrifice is something that's generous. You didn't have to do that. No, you didn't have to do that, but you did. So while we um, are not under the law or under obligation, personally, I actually still find the concept of tithes and offerings really helpful. So just sharing from my own experience. So I think, you know, with my giving, for example, I like to think that the tithe that I give is kind of like what I should do. That goes to the church. And the offerings that go to supporting the disadvantaged or missions... It's like the offerings, and that's the, that's the generosity piece. So for me, that's how this works. It's kind of like the tithe covers what I f- should do, if you want to use that kind of terminology. And offerings are what, what comes out and says, how else? What else can I give? What else can I do in that space? One thing I would say is I think, and I know this to be a fact, and I'm sure Anthony could back this up, that we know that many Western Christians and many people in this church aren't giving at that kind of level of 10%. And I guess my challenge this morning is that, you know, hey, have a think about that. And I would say that most Western Christians who don't tithe or give at least that money, it's not because they can't. And it's not even because they have freedom that I'm under the law, that I'm not under the law. I would actually say it's because they don't want to. Deep down, they'd rather not. And that's a pretty strong thing to say. I recognise that. But I think for most of us, 
if we're not giving at that level, it's not because we can't. And it's not because we're not obligated to. It's actually because we don't want to. I don't say that with judgment at all. I probably just put that before us as something to think about. Something to think about. Because my encouragement is, does 10% sound generous to a God who's given us everything that we have? Does 10% sound generous to somebody who saved my life, who has given me abundant life and has given me eternal life? Why would I be stingy in response to that? And then if I think about the fact that I'm in the top 5% of the world and personally I'm probably in the top 1% of the world, you know, if I can't afford to do it, who can? So um, I just put that out there and say it's something I think that we need to think about in the life of our church and in our Christian walk with God. It's not obligation. It's a generous response to a loving God who's given us so much. So I will say I do recognise that there are people in our midst who just cannot give more and probably one of the most common um, circumstances is where somebody has a spouse who is not a Christian and therefore doesn't um, hold those same values. I certainly know I've had a conversation with one person here who it grieved them that they couldn't actually tithe. I think it's so funny. Those people who can, it grieves them that they have to and those people who can't, it actually grieves them that they can't Offer this to God in that way. And so I think we need to recognise that as well. But certainly there's a great encouragement for us to be generous. And look, being generous towards God, I think everything we do, I mean, Jesus said, if you give, you know, so much as give a poor person a cup of water, you're giving it to me. So being generous to God in what we give to the church, being generous to God in what we give to the disadvantaged, is something I think that we, we just should be looking to do. The next point I want to emphasise is, is about this, giving joyfully. So we give generously, but we also give joyfully. And there's a great scripture here. It's 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 7. Each of you should give what you decided in your heart to give. So that's why I do not judge anybody who gives 0.1%, let alone not 10%, even given what I've said before. Everyone, each of you should give what you've decided in your heart to give. Okay, it's not for me to dictate. It's not for anyone to dictate. We can encourage each other and I think we should encourage each other to be generous. But we can't dictate it. But decide in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion. So it's not a compulsive thing. It's not an obligation thing. And you know what? There's plenty where God says, I despise your sacrifices and your offerings because it's just given to me out of flat-out obligation. There's no love in this. But it actually goes on to say, for God loves a cheerful giver. God loves a cheerful giver. And so as we give, let's be cheerful. I love what Laura Williams said a few weeks ago, and I said it before here, but Laura Williams a few weeks ago said, you know, we don't give to God because God needs it. God doesn't need our money. He owns the cattle on a thousand hills. He's got all the resources at his um, disposal. And if I don't give, God will cover it with someone else. I'm pretty confident about that. God will provide. It's what he does best. But we actually give because we need to. It's good for us. 
It's good for our souls. It keeps our life free from the love of money. So giving's to be a joy, not a reluctant task, not because we have to, not the last thing we get to, but a joy. And we move on. One more thing about giving is that we should be giving regularly or consistently. And I'm not going to spend much time on this apart from saying it's a good idea. It's a reflection of giving generously and joyfully. If it's something, being generous says you do it often. It's also a good discipline for many of us to give regularly. And Paul certainly encouraged the Corinthian church saying, on the first day of every week, each one of you should set aside a sum of money in keeping with your income. So a relative piece there, but certainly an encouragement there. So I'd encourage you to consider that concept of tithe and regularly giving to the church and offerings and regularly giving to missions and the poor. And giving regularly just helps keep that concept and the joy of giving ever in front of us. So do that. So back to our first point, being content. Because I certainly wanted to emphasise this as part of what we do. It's difficult to give joyfully or generously if you're not actually content with what you've got. Or perhaps even a little bit less. If, you can't, if it doesn't spring out of a contentment with what God has given me and where I am, um, then it's difficult. But if you're in that place of contentment, practising generosity is so much easier. So much easier. A couple of scriptures to help us with this. Philippians chapter 4, verse 11 and 12. This is Paul speaking, who went through all kinds of stuff. I've learned to be content, whatever the circumstance. I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. In the old RSV in King James used to say, I know what it is to, be a, to abound and to be abased. But I know what it is to be in need and what it is to be, have plenty. I've learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. And a second scripture, 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse, um, verse 6 and at 10, but missing out a couple of verses. But godliness with contentment is great gain, for we have brought nothing into the world and we can take nothing out of it. And verse 10... For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. But that first piece that says, but godliness with contentment is great gain. And when I think of this verse, I actually think of my father who lived this verse all his life. Never actually had very much. Um, Managed to buy a farm, managed to pay it off. Lives on the pension. Talk to him. What does he say? I've got everything I need. I don't need anything else. Who, who could have more than what I've got? A young boy in his town actually asked him who the richest person in Karunda, where the town where he lived was. Ten-year-old boy asked him, who's the richest person in Karunda? And he stopped and thought and he said, me. I'm the richest person. I have got everything I need. What more could you want? So you'll see that, but yeah, there is great gain with godliness in godliness with contentment. 
So just coming to the end, and we've got a rather unconventional end to this service today, I will say, um, a warning, I told you that there was some pieces that lacked discretion. Uh, this is probably this. We're actually now going to do group karaoke, okay? Except we're not allowed to call it karaoke because karaoke is banned at the moment. But in actual fact, we do group karaoke every week because karaoke is just singing a song that's up on the screen. And group karaoke says we do it together. And because we're not allowed to do karaoke together, that means you have to help me, okay, with this song. Now, this tune is a well-known tune for many of you here, but we actually have some new words today, okay, for this tune. And like I mentioned, the tune is the song that Ken was playing as he walked in, was the first piece of the montage, the Pink Floyd Money song. The timing is actually really tricky, and there's every chance that this is going to be an absolute schmozzle. Uh, <laughs> but we're going to do this anyway because high risk, high reward, okay? High risk, high reward. We're going to do this. Just let me say that. Um, so in a second, um, Nathan's going to play the tune. I will warn you it's got a 39-second introduction, okay? So there's a, bit of, there's a bit of wait time before you're actually expected to do anything. But the lyrics will appear on the screen, okay? And then we sing them together. Quite interesting because, like I said, the timing is a little bit tricky. But we're going to do that. Um, and so with that, so yes, the, the, the tune's going to come up. The lyrics will be on the screen. And please join me as we sing this song. a gift God gave it to you first don't give him short shrift money it's the Lord's use your cash wisely it's not too hard give to the rich and the poor there's a whole lot it's given for money get back Let, let's go check find the best use for your stack money it's a hit Use it well, not just on selfish bull manure. Let it be your slave, not your master. Be a user, not a waster. You only need a bit. Money, money, get back. Let's go check, find the best uses for your stack. The love of money, Paul say, 
She is a root of all evil today. But if you're staying content, it's not so hard to give some more away, 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 away. Well, maybe it was just high risk, but there we'll go. <laughs> We've spoken a lot today about money. And, um, but I just really want to emphasise the fact this actually applies to all the resources that God gives us. I mentioned in the Old Testament, you know, they didn't have money. God asked the first 10% of their produce, what they had, what God had given them of value. So what has God given you of value? It might not be money, although, yes, you have some. But what else? Time. We all have time. In fact, we all get 24 hours a day, 365 days a year. The mother who is staying at home with her children does not have more time than Anthony Rehman, who got an incredibly responsible job, who also actually happens to manage to be the treasurer of the church as well as that incredibly responsible job. We all have 24 hours a day. It's how we choose to use it. And we have some great examples in our church here of people who serve you know, well with their time. You can look around you, you'll see them, you'll know them. We can all do that. Are we giving joyfully and consistently? It's that same approach. Are we giving joyfully our time? Or is it a drag? You know, do we resent it? Because you know what? God would say, I detest that. That's rubbish. Give joyfully to the Lord. Give generously. Are we generous with the talents that God's given us? You know, God's given us talents and skills and experiences, whether they be up front, songwriting or not. <laughs> Down the back, up the back. Thank you, by the way, Nathan. I put him under a fair bit of heat today. That was a bit more challenging than your average computer graphics session today. So thank you and well done. But... Um, yeah, are we being generous with our talents? Are we actually using what God has given us for his kingdom? So I just want to read this Hebrews chapter 13, verse 5 passage one more time. Hebrews chapter 13, verse 5. We're going to read this together. Keep your lives free from the love of money and be content with what you have because God has said, never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. Aren't they great words? Aren't they great words? Can we take those things away? Keep your lives free from the love of money. Be content with what you have. But here's the why. Because God has said, I will never leave you and never forsake you. You know what? If you are generous, if you are generous with anything that God has given you, He said, I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. I would take that as saying you'll never regret it. I would take that as saying you'll never regret anything that you give to God. It, it may cause you even some self-sacrifice. There are things in my past that are a little bit tricky for me to remember, but I don't regret it. I don't regret it. It might even be difficult, but I don't regret those things that were given to God. 
So can we take those thoughts away? Keep your lives free from the love of money. Be content with what you have. Because God has said, never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. And with that, I want to pray the, last, the other passage that we started with, the First Timothy passage, as a prayer. And we'll close with this. So let's pray together. Lord, we pray that you'll help us not to be arrogant, nor to put our hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but that we would put our hope in you, our God, our provider, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Thank you for those things that you've given us. And thank you that we're actually allowed to enjoy them. Thank you for that. Help us to truly appreciate what you've given us. And help us to do good, to be rich in good deeds, and to be generous and willing to share from all the resources you've given us. In Jesus' name. Amen. We have no closing song today because I wanted to leave you with that thought. But one of the things I do like to do is I actually do like to do benedictions. And I'll tell you why. I think I said once upon a time my dad said, if you take nothing else out of a sermon, take the benediction. One of the other reasons I really like to do it is as you read through Paul's letters, he just can't help himself. He just cannot help himself. Anywhere in the middle of when, you know, instructions, whatever he's doing, he's, he's got to make some great statements about God or what God has done for us. And one of the reasons I love doing benedictions is because they're just great statements about God or they're great statements about what God has done for us. So a benediction today comes from Colossians chapter 3, verse 15. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts to which indeed you are called in one body, and be thankful. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Hills Baptist Podcast. If you'd like to partner with us in developing and equipping passionate disciples who love God, love people, and boldly share the gospel, you can do that at hillsbaptist.com forward slash giving. We pray this message has empowered you to live and love more like Jesus. Have an amazing day.